Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis and today we head to Nebraska with Wendy Hines, whose tiny poetry project administers narrative medicine for the soul in small but potent doses. Poetry is one of many passions for Wendy, who is a successful academic, policy advisor and attorney. But it was her son's health problems which inspired her to start the Tiny Poetry Project. Here's Wendy to tell us more. The Tiny Poetry Project really began um, based on, I, I would say, written more traditional, longer form poems that really came from uh, experiences I've had in the medical world with uh, chronic a chronic condition uh, that my son has, a chronic heart condition. And I began to write poems and, and get them published maybe about seven, eight years ago, and wanted to try to make my poetry a little bit more accessible. And I thought by maybe writing shorter poems or condensing them, um, I may be able to reach a, a larger audience that maybe isn't used to reading poetry um, and try to introduce them to poetry in a way that maybe wasn't as intimidating as it can be, I know, to a, to a lot of people. Uh, and so tried to condense some poems and came up with the Tiny Poetry Project as a way of putting them out there for people to read and people to kind of also relate to some of the work I'm doing in narrative medicine, which is helping physicians, caregivers, and patients listen to each other's stories uh, more. So uh, one of the first poems that I posted is called White Flag. If you think I am going to wave the white flag, you are mistaken. If you think I am going to retreat, you are wrong. I may have to refortify. I may have to bandage my wounds, but I am not done fighting, and I intend to win this war. I will not surrender to my pain, nor to you. And Patrick, and another one that I, I wrote that uh, I condensed, it's called Flatline. It was previously published in a, a journal out of the University of Oklahoma Medical School called Blood and Thunder. And in its shorter form, it gets to, I think, the essence of, of what happened one night to our son. And it's called Flatline. She comes down the hall carrying a book with a gold cross hanging from her throat. I turn away and do not speak to her. Go somewhere else. My son is not dying today. I like the resilience of those poems and I can ma imagine people reading them and um, being uh, sort of picked up by them really and uh, sort of gaining a bit of resilience themselves. Can you tell us more about your son? Sure. So our son, um, William, was born 20 years ago with a, a life-threatening congenital heart issue. And uh, at the time, it was uh, very, still very new, risky, three-stage open-heart procedure in order to basically replumb his heart. And uh, the first surgery has about a 50-50 chance of, of working and survival. At, after that, it does go up from there. We are, uh, we know, incredibly fortunate. We did choose to have William and have the surgeries. He is uh, currently has had over 12 surgeries as he's had a, 
a number of abdominal surgeries as well. But I'm pleased to say today, he is a junior at university studying emergency management, would like to work for the Red Cross or FEMA in his future to, to help other people, as he would say, on their worst day. So we, we, we are lucky, but he has gone through a lot and uh, helping um, me to understand, I think, has been writing poetry. Yeah, well, that's uh, great to hear he's uh, doing so well. And um, when did you start writing poetry in response to this? I actually started uh, about eight years ago. We were about to take a Make-A-Wish trip to Australia. It was during a particularly, as you can imagine, low time in his health. So things were going very poorly and uh, we were made eligible for a Make-A-Wish trip. And I think it was that realization that, uh, oh my God, this is our life. This is, this is where we're at. This is, uh, it doesn't get any more real and brutal than this. And um, I don't even know exactly where it came from, Patrick, except he was at the time covered in scars and he also had a feeding tube, which is a little tube coming out of your abdomen where he was being fed at nights. And he wanted to go to the pool like any you know, normal 12, 13 year old kid would wanna do. And he was embarrassed and shy of all of his scars and this tube. And at the time I was doing a summer writing program at the Iowa, the famed Iowa Writers Workshop. And something there prompted me to write a poem about tattoos. And I realized that William's scars were his tattoos and that not all tattoos feel from the recipient as, as though they are celebrated. And, uh, it led to my first published poem called My Tattoos, which is also the name of my chapbook coming out in August. And that poem was uh, published in The Healing Muse, which is in upstate New York Medical School, SUNY's upstate uh, New York Medical School, and then was read on public radio there. So that kind of, I think, gave me the confidence to continue writing and expressing myself and, and uh, sending it out there to the world. Every time I get a new mark, I stare at my body. I try to cover it. I don't delight in my new facade. My markings are not colorful and romantic. They are not detailed and poetic, yet people still stare. I received my first marking when I was very young. I have many markings now. Some are big and some are small. Some have been done on top of one, the one before. Each one is characterized by fear, anxiety, and pain. I hate the needle, but I am not done getting marked. I shake when it comes near me. I always direct the person holding it to count to three before they start. They promise they will. Sometimes they break their promise. My skin hasn't been marked with pigment, but with scars. The artists who mark my body use scalpels. They are skilled. They are experts. They have perfected their art. Sometimes they remember me and sometimes they don't. I always remember them. When I grow up, I may become the one that marks others. When someone wants me to count to three, I will. I will be gentle and kind. I will always understand their fear, anxiety, and pain. I will always remember them. A tattoo has been referred to as a deviant sign of something that is absent or invisible. 
Absent is my spleen, gallbladder, two thirds of my colon and half of my heart. Invisible are my feelings masked by my young smile. My tattoos lie outside social norms, but I didn't initiate them. Are my tattoos an act of deviance by God? I don't want any more tattoos, but I am not done being marked. And that was from 2014. Right. It's kind of like you're speaking in your son's voice. Um, How does he feel about these poems? He has actually been incredibly supportive. And, and, And you bring up a really interesting point, which is I often, you know, have been sitting bedside and it is definitely my projection of what he may have been feeling at, at those young of ages and, and based on maybe how he reacted or um, things he'd said at the time. And really it's a mother's way of trying to understand and deal with the pain her child has had to endure. Interestingly, William has chosen another form of art as expression. He uses syringes and scalpels and gauze to paint with and to make fine art and uh, quite beautiful and quite dramatic. And were you writing at all before this or or was this all inspired by your son? The, t- the poetry was definitely inspired through all of the health issues and, and then some health issues I've gone through as well. As far as writing, I was um, a professor of, of law and politics. And so I was always writing, you know, but it was, it was always very academic and not creative uh, in the sense that, in the sense of the work I'm doing now. So yeah, I've always written, but I find this um, much more satisfying for me. It's, I enjoy doing it so much more and I enjoy how it's really impacted a lot of people. What's been so amazing about it is the response I've gotten from so many people about um, how it's helped them to understand maybe something they're going through or they have a loved one going through. When I uh, first launched the Tiny Poetry Project, one of the, one of the best things that happened was one of our children's teachers from the third grade actually wrote me right away on Facebook after I posted a poem and said, I'm sitting here next to my father in his hospital bed. And I just read some of your poems to him out loud. And we both started crying and really appreciate what you're doing for us. And and really, Patrick, that was kind of everything I needed, you know, and more at that moment to, um, to go ahead and have the courage to continue to, to write and to put these out there for people. Yes, yeah, uh, interesting you say courage. It uh, must have taken quite a lot to uh, put this stuff out there. Yeah, for sure. Especially um, for me, I'm a pretty private person. I never shared that much about our journey or our um, health journeys. Of course, people knew on the surface what was going on, but I honestly think that I'm not even sure I was aware of everything that was bubbling beneath. You know, when you're in a situation of, of triage or trauma, you're just kind of trying to get through to the other side. And I'm not sure that I really dealt 
with a lot of that. And I find that through the writing and through this expression and particularly the form of poetry that things have come up, things have, have surfaced that frankly, I didn't even know was, you know, were buried deep down in there. And so it's been sort of an act of courage, but also an act of liberation, really. Yeah. So what do you think a, a short poem can achieve that a longer one can't? Well, a couple of things. I think a short poem, again, is can feel more accessible to those that aren't as comfortable with reading poetry. But I also think a short poem can be very challenging um, in that every word really has to count in order to get to your desired uh, message or meaning or whatever you're trying to get out there to the world or onto, onto that piece of paper. And, and so I think they're an interesting method, if you will, of writing. And um, they can be deeply satisfying, I think, also in their brevity. Yeah. And um, so how, how do you make sure that uh, it works and that you, you say enough, I, I guess, to get your point across? I think that that's a great, um, that's a great point, Patrick. And I think it can be hard and challenging. And um, I'm not sure I always do it successfully, but I try. And particularly when you're in the mind of the poet, sometimes it's, it's interesting, and I think maybe this is the beauty of poetry is, although I, I write from this deep-seated place of my own experience, you, I think the hope, or my hope is that someone else can read it and get their own meaning out of it um, and get their own inspiration or it connects to them in what, whatever way it resonates with maybe their own experiences. I do write for myself, but I do write for others as well. And I hope that that, I hope that translates. I was going to, you know, also mention to you that I listened to the poetry nonstop of January 7th with Abby Neal and her writing exercise was to write about garments of clothing, which I found super intriguing. And so I wrote a poem about an article of clothing. Um, and I wrote a longer poem and then I tried to pare it down to a, a tiny poem. And I'd be happy to share that with you if you're interested. That would be great. Okay, so this is um, thanks to Abby Neal. This poem is called The Gown. The thread was chosen for its strength, the colors for their subtle effects, the design created not for beauty, but utility. The gown is in demand throughout the world, its ability to be worn to so many different venues. It's not couture, yet not off the rack. Childlike in its ease to put on and take off with simple ties of the back, sometimes shocking in its exposure. No jewelry is allowed and the shoe and shoes are rarely worn. Primarily, it's accompanied with strange rubber bottom socks. Miraculous in its ability to fit so many. It flows down halls, not quite appropriate for cotillions, homecomings, or proms. Those not invited to this party don't miss the lack of an invitation. They hope never to dance at this ball. They certainly don't covet the dress. So that was in its longer form, and then I attempted to pare it down in an effort to show the effect of a tiny poem. Certainly 
different, but hopefully also dramatic. So uh, this is the gown in tiny version. The gown is in demand throughout the world with simple ties up the back, childlike in its ease to put on and take off, sometimes shocking in its exposure. Those not invited to this party don't miss the lack of an invitation. They hope never to dance at this ball and they certainly don't covet the dress. That's great. And you've done so much of what I wanted to achieve with this podcast, both uncovering uh, writers' writing processes, um, but uh, also uh, inspiring other people to write. So it's great that uh, you've taken that prompt from Abby, and I'm sure Abby will be delighted to hear that as well. And it's not just for uh, established poets or guests, it's for everyone listening. I I, uh, really hope that it inspires you and that uh, you're encouraged to uh, share your work as well. So yeah, it's great. Thank you. I love what you're doing with the podcast. I love that you're having the poets talk about prompts and and talk about their methods and everyone is so different and yet with these common kind of threads and I think it's just brilliant Patrick. Thank you and uh, that uh, kind of brings us on to your writing exercise. Well great what I would um, I'd like to encourage people to do is is one of two things the first is take one of their maybe longer poems Maybe it's a poem that doesn't quite work yet, um, or maybe it's one of your favorites, and uh, try to pare it down into a, a short poem, a micro poem, as they like to say, or I say a tiny poem, and um, try that exercise in taking away and removing lines. Uh, I often start with a full poem and think about what I'm trying to get across, uh, what kind of the theme of the poem is, and then which lines or words are most critical to making that a cohesive small poem. Uh, Another way of doing it is, um, and particularly, I'd like to talk about everyone thinking about an illness or a time of ill health, whether for themselves or a loved one. Um, No one is immune to their body or mind breaking down at some point. uh, and, And it's a universal experience. So I'd like to ask everyone to take a time, think of a time when you've had that sort of experience and take a moment to write down, oh, at least at least 10 words that come to mind, just kind of a free flow of words when you think about that experience. And then once you've done that, uh, take another few minutes and write down another word next to the words you've written. Uh, maybe it's a, maybe you're going deeper, maybe it's a descriptive word, It may be an action word associated with it. Uh, The word may spawn something like a a metaphor. Um, So another word associated with the first list of words. And that'll help give you a really nice body of vocabulary to, to deal with. I think then it's nice to take a moment, read through the list, and then start circling those words that feel like they're hitting you the hardest because I think poems of illness and health are really about getting to the core of um, really difficult feelings and really difficult issues of our mortality. Um, And by choosing those words, uh, then I challenge you to compose a poem. Maybe it's a long poem and you shut it down, uh, sorting it down, or or maybe it's a short poem right right from the get-go. A concise poem 
you know, is not just brief, but it's really targeting each word, each stanza, um, where you choose to put those commas and where you choose to loop, ar loop around to the next line. So I challenge you to go deep on this, to let yourself be vulnerable and uh, talk about those really difficult times when we are faced with our own mortality or someone else's mortality of those we love and care deeply about. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good exercise. Um, and I guess it gives you a structure and a, a way into um, addressing those experiences that might be hard to write about. When I did it, I thought about uh, my grandmother who uh, suffered a lot of poor health in her final years and I spent a lot of time with her during that time and so obviously I have a lot of feelings and experiences associated with that and what I found was through writing down this list of words it's helped me focus and just pick a small part of that to write a, a well-rounded poem and I'd also say the words which I came up with, they weren't particularly special, interesting words. They maybe didn't have much promise, but they were a good uh, springboard for writing this poem. So, um, you know, it doesn't have to be, uh, I don't think, anything sort of very fancy or elaborate in the early stages. And it's uh, great to focus your mind. So um, anyway, this was the poem which I came up with, and it's called Waiting. I long for that summer day, walking down Mill Road waiting between each step for you to take yours. Now your steps have stopped and I am waiting in the least comfy seat in the common room or at your bedside, hoping you'll wake and remember my name. Wow. I actually love that, Patrick. That's, that's so beautiful. And you've done that wonderful thing of although you explain the poem through your experience with your grandmother, I immediately actually took that experience to my current experience with my own mother, that waiting for the steps was absolutely spot on. And I love that because I could, I could put myself right inside that poem. Yeah, I, uh, well, thank you. Uh, and I suppose that's another benefit of brevity that uh, it's easier for the reader to apply it to their own situation. So, yeah, I'm uh, glad it worked in that way. Yeah, I was definitely right there with you. I could I could feel it and visualize it. I could almost smell it, actually, because I of the of my again of how I could relate to it to my own experiences. Love it. Yeah, and um, I was thinking actually, I mean, obviously in the last year or so, everyone's been kind of thinking more of health and illness um, with everything that's been happening with COVID. Is that something which has uh, driven the project at all? Yeah, I really think it has because I've written a couple of other poems during this time that one was just published in the Ohio State University Medical Journal. And it was re really kind of thinking about those people that are on the front lines and some of the trauma they've experienced and the intensity and pain. I think just there's a lot of raw emotion out there right now, Patrick. And 
and not just among our healthcare workers. I think a lot about one of my daughters actually lives in London. Our son is in university here, and then our youngest is still in high school. And I look at everything that those ages particularly um, have gone through, and, and I'm concerned about their mental health and their lack of processing, really, along with the rest of us, but particularly that age group. I think they've got a lot to express and not sure that they know how to do that. And so I think that poetry and doing, helping them get some of those feelings out could be hugely, hugely good for their mental and physical health. Yeah. And um, what do you uh, hope to see happening in the future with the Tiny Poems projects? Well, at the present time, um, there's a high school associated with our medical school here. Um, so in the fall, I'm going to be doing some stuff um, with them. Um, I'll continue to put stuff out online and Instagram and Facebook. And I'll also continue to do um, workshops. I'm going to be doing a workshop with um, some physicians soon and later this summer. And uh, hope to just continue to expand the workshops to other people, not only in the medical profession, but those who maybe have been patients and also uh, caregivers as well. Yeah. And um, have you done uh, many workshops before? Not in this genre as much. Um, I've done, and as, again, as a professor, uh, done an enormous amount of workshops, but have only done a few in the narrative medicine genre. And uh, that's the direction that I hope to continue to go because the response that I've received has just been really outstanding. And I think it is a underutilized, I'll say underutilized genre that can be enormously beneficial. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine people getting a lot out of it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a lot of people have, a, you know, a, an initial fear of poetry. And uh, once you can help them break through that, I think they're amazed at what comes out on the paper. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I hope that goes well. And uh, it's a great project and uh, wonderful poetry. Thank you. It's it's certainly uh, exciting. Narrative med The field of narrative medicine, which is using the arts, um, poetry and fine art and music, to connect to physicians and patients uh, to better understand and hear their stories is only about 20 years old. It came out of Columbia University and a, a physician named Dr. Rita Sharon and her colleagues. And it's, it's really taking off. It's in medical schools now around the country and, and around the world. Um, and it's, it's kind of growing into not only becoming an elective at medical, in medical schools, but also a, a required course in over half the schools in America at this point. So it is a, a really growing genre and field. And it's, I think, really going to continue to help healthcare better serve the patients. Yeah, great. Um, we uh, need a lot more of it. <laughs> exactly. Cheers to that. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to add or would you like to finish with another poem? Um, sure. I'll, um, I'll finish with another uh, tiny poem. This one hasn't, hasn't been published yet. I'm still working on it. But this one is called uh, Collaterals. And uh, I think rather than explain it or at all, I think I'll just read it, Patrick. New shoots from spring branches emerge in order to survive. Like collateral veins trying to find new passage for the blood to flow, each is making its best effort to find a way to stay alive.
And as spring branches emerge in order to survive in your body, when one of your veins is, is cut off or shut down, the body has this remarkable way of creating these collateral veins in order to help the blood flow and in order to help the body to stay alive. That's uh, fascinating. The human body is a, an amazing thing uh, and the mind as well. Absolutely. So I just like to close with, I hope people would consider visiting um, the Tiny Poetry Project website and page and uh, follow along on this journey and contact me if you have any interest in, in learning more because I am passionate about it. I, I believe it's, it's an amazing way to connect with yourself and with others and uh, on this road of wholeness and, and health. That was Wendy Hind bringing another edition of Poetry Nonstop to a close. Please check out the website poetrynonstop.com to learn more about Wendy's work or visit tinypoetryproject.com. I also hope you find inspiration in the writing exercise and as always, please share your poems. You can send them via the website or to poetrynonstop at gmail.com. I'll be back with more episodes soon. Until then, thank you for listening and keep writing.